The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, in your word, you have told us that without you nothing is possible. Therefore, we pray that Christ may be truly preached, may Christ be truly heard. May your people, O Lord, see Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There's a uh, saying that says, confession is good for the soul. It doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from Scotland, which uh, for some folks is about the same thing. And you know, confession is more than just good for the soul. Actually, confession is the natural language, the natural tongue, the natural speech of those who have been born again and are growing and maturing in the spirit. The popular understanding of confession is that we're telling God or others that the bad we've done in order that we may seek forgiveness and have a clear conscience. And confession is one of the focused disciplines of Lent. It's kind of like cleaning your house on Tuesday before Ash Wednesday and when all the fats and the lards are taken out. But the popular meaning of confession is a mere shadow of the biblical meaning. Because confession, the word confession in the New Testament, in the New Testament Greek, is translated, say the same thing. Homo legeo, the same thing, say. Say the same thing. Now, if you consider that God's word is the most accurate description of reality and truth, God always gets it right about himself, and he always gets it right about you and me. Then what he wants us to do is he wants us to say the same thing that he says. He wants us to agree with what he says. He wants us to confess, homo legeo, say the same thing that he says. And therefore, we say the same thing that God says. We confess him when we confess our sins. You know that passage in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess when we agree with God about our sins. But we also confess, and this word is also used, the word confession, is also used to confess God's truth. The next day, it says in the scripture, in John 1st chapter, 
about John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist was confessing Jesus. He was telling the truth about Jesus. He was saying what God already says about him. For instance, when you wonder what to pray for, I'm sure I'm often stuck in situations and during my quiet times, my devotions, of thinking, what am I going to pray for today? I've prayed for the same thing again and again. You know, it's always right to pray God's word. Uh, I've had them insert a card. And I would commend this card to you, this prayer. This was given to us at the Brave Men Bible Study by uh, Bruce Bickle. And I have memorized this prayer, and I pray it every morning when I don't know what to pray for, for someone. So let's see how this works. This is me praying for my wife, Diana. I do not cease to pray for Diana, asking that she may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that she may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that she may bear fruit in every good work, that she may increase in the knowledge of God, that she, she may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And I pray that she will give thanks to the Father who has qualified her to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Can you do any better than that? Fumbling through your prayers. Oh, Lord, bless my wife. Give her a happy day. Make the students she's teaching behave. Is this not more precious? Be filled. Lord, fill Diana with the knowledge of your will. You know, every morning I pray this prayer for John Panner and Susie. I pray that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they may bear fruit in every good work, that they may increase in the knowledge, not of his will, but of God, the knowledge of God and who he is, that they may be strengthened with all power, and they may give thanks amongst all situations and everything. They may give thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. I tell you, when you consider the inheritance that we share in the saints of light, it makes all other issues absolutely irrelevant. All other problems, all their problems and strains. So that's one great prayer. I'm going to share you with another great prayer taken right out of Scripture. Just pray the scripture. Agree with God. Confess, confess God by saying what he says. And this comes from John Piper, the great teacher. I heard it the other day, and I was very encouraged by it. You may want to take notes on the back of this card, because this is another prayer. This is the prayer that John Piper begins his morning devotions with. While you're in there looking for a pen. He uses the initial I-O-U-S, like I-O-U's, I-O-U-S. And each one of these is the first letter 
of a scripture. This is how John Piper starts his prayer life in the morning. I, in Psalm, you should write the the, uh, notation down, Psalm 119.36. Psalm 119.36. I, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. So the first thing you say to God in the morning, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. Oh, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things out of your law. So Lord, as I'm beginning to pray and meditate and read your word, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things out of your law. That's Psalm 119.18. And then from Psalm 86.11, the you, unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 86.11, unite my heart to fear your name. This is what Piper says, John Piper says. He says, that when he gets down to pray, there are so many conflicting thoughts. Have you been there? Has your life been full of confusion and conflicting thoughts and your mind goes randomly about? And maybe there's anxiety and pressure in your life. So therefore, Piper says, unite my heart. It's all over the place. My heart is everywhere. But pull my heart together in the most important thing because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So unite my heart to fear your name. And finally, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. Are those not precious scriptures? Memorize those scriptures. I mean, me memorizing Colossians, this was, I'm not a memorizer. I mean, it goes in one head and out the other. But memorize these scriptures. This will get you started right. So that's, that's one thing we can do if we're, saying, uh, if we're saying, Lord, just show me how to pray. We can actually pray his scripture. Let's make, a, let's make a commitment to not start our prayers. Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Can we think of something more profound than that? Can we say something like, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Start your prayer that way. Majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. Straight out of scripture. I don't have to worry about saying the wrong prayer. God said it first. I'm confessing him. I'm saying what he says. But our natural born problem is that we're not wired to confess. You, are not, you and I are not wired to say the same things as God says. We're not wired to agree with God. That's our problem. Every one of us is born that way. For instance, God says in Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. That's what God says. But men don't agree with God. Instead, we say to God, Now, Lord, isn't that just a wee bit too narrow? I mean, really. Or, Lord, aren't there some loopholes here that I can kind of jump through? Or, is there anybody else up there besides you? So that's what we do. We don't agree with God. We don't confess Him. We don't say the same thing He says about Himself. Or when it comes to sin. God says this in Romans 3rd chapter in the 10th verse and following. 
None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But man does not agree with God. We say to God, wait a second, I'm not that bad. I'm not that lost. I make mistakes, but doesn't everyone? I couldn't help myself. The devil made me do it. I'm not really dead in my sin. I'm only sick. When it comes to our accomplishments, God says in 1 Corinthians verse 1 and 29, No one shall boast in his presence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But men don't agree with God. We say to God, wait a second. I've accomplished much on my own. Of course, God, help me. I'm not leaving him out of the picture, mind you. But, you know, if it had not been for my choice, my initiative, my hard work, my faithfulness, none of this wouldn't happen. You know, God and I are a pair, a partnership. He comes this far, I come this far, and we make a great team. No one should boast in his presence. We are born with an impossible task, and that task is confessing, saying the same thing as God and agreeing with God. That is the impossible task. But I've come to the conclusion, and I believe Scripture supports me in this, that unless God gives me a new heart and a new mind, I will not confess and I will not agree with God. It is not within me to do that. I cannot agree with him unless he gives me a new heart and a new mind. Jesus said this about the greatest confession ever made in the Bible, and I read it in the Gospel. Simon uh, Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, You know, flesh and blood, that is you, Peter, your flesh and blood, your mind, your will, your efforts. Flesh and blood did not reveal to this to you but my Father in heaven. And when you are born again, when you are regenerated, when you're given a new life in Christ, when you're brought from darkness into light, when that happens, God gives you the gift of confession. God gives you the gift of saying what God says. God gives you the gift of agreeing with him. And this is the promise from Ezekiel 36. In verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. This is what God says. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in the statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the Lord not only gives you a new heart and a new mind, but he gives you the ability to walk in his ways, to agree with him, to confess him. And this is what Jesus taught in John 3rd chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Do you not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again? This is what Paul says to Christians in 1 Corinthians 2nd chapter. We have the mind of Christ. When we are born again, we are truly able to confess. We are truly able to agree with God. We are truly able to say the same things that God says. So let's find out the things you're able to do. First, you are able to confess your sins to God in the church without excuses. This is so important. There are no excuses. You have sinned and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you look at it, I am completely lost and you are too. There is no excuse you can offer. No one you can blame. You can't blame your mom or dad. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame the circumstances of your life. You're lost without him. And when you say that, Lord, I am in your hands, please forgive me. I confess that I have failed you in every way. Against you, Psalm 51, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And this is what it says in Psalm 32, which is written in your service bulletin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. I confessed my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. He says, I confess my sins to you, and I did not cover them up. You know, the, the opening prayer for the Anglican Holy Communion service says that. That's one of the great things about Anglican prayers is they always start off with not a request, but a statement about who God is. And the opening prayer of the Holy Communion service starts, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. To you all desires known. And from you no secrets are hid. Therefore, cleanse the thoughts of my heart. When you come to the Lord in communion, your heart has to be pure. How is that going to happen? Unless you say, here I am, Lord. Look, it's me, all of me. It's, it, it, it's disgusting to me. It's, it's repulsive. But you died on the cross for me. You shed the blood. You took my life, and you gave me yours. So we confess our sins to God and his church without excuses. Secondly, you are able to confess your joy and praise and thanksgiving for what God has done and was doing in you, what Jesus has done, and what he's doing in you. It's interesting, I told you the Greek word in the New Testament for confess, homo legeo, say the same thing. But the Hebrew word is also an interesting word, because the word is yada, and it's almost, it sounds like what it does, because the root for yada is to hold out your hand, or to throw something. So when we confess to God, we're saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I praise you. You are king of the universe. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Without me, I, without you, I am nothing. This is what we do physically. We yada, we throw our hands out. We confess who God is. Let us, and in, in Hebrews it picks up, let us earn a, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. I think about that scene where the, in, the, in, the, in the prodigal son where the son comes home 
and the Father sees him from afar. The Father is like confessing the goodness of God. Yada. He's saying, let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is now found. And they begin to celebrate. God gives us the ability to confess, to speak out, to agree with him about the joy, thanksgiving, and praise for all he's doing and what he's done. Thirdly, we're able to confess. You're able to confess your new owner and your salvation. Do you know, when you were put into Christ and he was put into you, when you were born again, when you were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, when those things happened, you took on a new owner. I tell you, I have a problem with saying, make Jesus Lord of your life. Do you think Jesus needs to be made Lord? Or does he make himself Lord? Tell me that. Are you capable of making Jesus Lord of your life? Unless he enthrones himself as king rides triumphant in this city, having broken down the walls. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. This is the Lord who comes in. You don't make Jesus the Lord of your life. He makes himself the Lord of your life. And this happens at regeneration. If it's up to me to make Jesus Lord of my life, there's no hope. I am such a failure. I am such a failure at doing that. Again and again. I remember there was a great TV preacher who gave a sermon about sin and he said, uh, he was a southerner. And since I can do a southern accent, he said, occasionally when we sin. I said, occasionally. 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 The heart is wicked above all things. That's not within me. He must enthrone himself or there is no hope. And so, some of you have yet to begin a life. And I would say one last thing, and that you're able to confess God's victory now and in the age to come. Listen to one of the greatest verses in Scripture. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue, what? Confess. Every tongue agrees. Every tongue says the, says the same thing that God says. And what is that same thing that God says? That Jesus Christ is Lord to what? The glory of God the Father. So we confess that because Jesus is the Lord. And he say, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Some of you have yet to come to this life of confession. Some of you don't really have the ability to confess, to say the same thing that God does. Here's the solution. You must be born again. There is no other hope. God must make his life alive in you. You must be born again and confess Jesus. Some of us, maybe many of us, are learning to live a life of confession, living a life that says the same thing that God says. What are we to do? Risk more. Take more risk. Take the risk that God is telling the truth. It really comes down to that, does it not? Every issue in our life is resolved spiritually by agreeing that God is telling the truth. Oh, it's a, it's a horrible situation. It, it, the disease, the job, the family, it just is, it's bad, it's bad. Oh, brothers, pray for me. It's bad, it's bad. And Jesus said, I've conquered 
I'm triumphant. Well, Jesus, I don't know if you can be trusted. Take a chance. Risk it. Take the risk that I'm telling the truth. Because either I'm lying or I'm telling the truth. And I know my mom, as she entered her last several years of life, she never came to faith as far as I know. She would always say to me, Ted, how do you know it's true? How do you know it's true? I said, Mom, either it is or it isn't. I mean, we'd given her all the explanations. We'd gone through all the documents. We'd spent time with her, prayed with her, hours, 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 unsatisfied, unsatisfied. How do you know it's true? Mom, was Jesus lying or was he telling the truth? And she would say, but how do you know it's true? I'd say, Mom, either he was lying or he was telling the truth, but how do you know it's true? There never was a resolution. That convinced me that knowledge of God, the confession of God, is a supernatural gift. So it's time for those of us who are trying to grow in our faith, mature in our faith, is to live a life of confession, to risk more, to trust that God is telling the truth. And in either case, whether you've never confessed or you are learning to confess, it's time to confess. It's time to say the same thing that God says. It's time to agree with God about yourself and about Him and about Jesus Christ. No excuses. You don't have to offer excuses. God's got you covered. It's time to start speaking your God-given language, which is to say the same thing that God says to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Lord, in your word you tell us that the gift of faith is given to us so that we might become the children of God Almighty, that we might know you, that we might be put into you and you in us. We pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to confess you, to confess our sins, to agree with you on your assessment of us your assessment of yourself, and your assessment of your Son. And in this way, we might know life in all its fullness. And we pray this in your name. Amen.